Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could join us. And I'm so glad that we have the guests that we do today because it's hard to find uh, a more perfect subject matter expert than our guests today regarding the topic that we'll be talking about. As you all know, on Go Green Radio, we cover a wide spectrum of topics, everything from climate change to water issues and energy issues. But one of the things that's going on in California that's very exciting is uh, an investment that the government is making in greening the state's transportation system. And in fact, the California Energy Commission has developed what's called the Alternative and Renewable Fuel and Vehicle Technology Program. Say that three times fast. Um, And we have today one of the commissioners from the California Energy Commission here today with us to talk more about the program. Uh, We're joined today by Commissioner Carla Peterman, and she's going to help us understand this landmark investment in 21st century transportation in the Golden State. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Commissioner Peterman. Hello, Jill. Thank you. Well, we're so glad to have you. I'd love for you to sort of give us a thumbnail sketch or an overview of California's alternative and renewable fuel and vehicle technology program. Give us some idea about how and when it was first developed and what its primary objectives are. Sure. Well, first of all, glad to be on your program and pleased to have an opportunity to speak to your audience about clean transportation in California The ARFVTP, or what we refer to often by its law name, AB 118, because that can be a mouthful, was (laughs) was authorized by the California legislature in 2007 as a mechanism to help companies develop vehicle technologies and alternative fuels that can help the state meet its aggressive greenhouse gas emission reduction goals. Uh, We have goals for 30% reductions by 2020 and 80% by 2050. With a budget of $100 million annually is a complementary program to AB 32, the Global Warming Solutions Act, and the Low Carbon Fuel Standard. So other goals of the program include reducing petroleum dependence, increasing alternative fuel use, increasing sustainable in-state biofuel production, and improving air quality. Well, those are some great objectives, uh, and I'm really anxious to hear how the program actually uh, begins to move towards those goals and objectives. First, though, tell us why the program is so important for California, and how does it fit into the state's overall plans? 
Well, in California, the transportation sector represents roughly half of all energy consumed and is more than 90% dependent on petroleum. It also contributes about 40% of the state's greenhouse gas emissions, the largest amount from any single sector. So the program increases our energy independence and improves our air quality. California continues uh, to affect the direction of the nation's transportation sector as it leads with landmark state regulations and incentives. And Jill, we're continuing to press ahead. Just recently, Governor Brown signed an executive order directing state government to help significantly expand the market for zero emission vehicles in California. The order established several milestones, including a target of 1.5 million zero emission vehicles, such as electric cars, by 2025. And is this primarily that executive order? Was that directed towards like uh, public fleets? Like, for instance, when a city has a fleet of vehicles, uh, that, that that would be, you know, that would fall under the executive order? Or, um, you know, who's, who's impacted by that executive order to follow that directive? So everyone is. It's a okay. goal for both fleets as well as passenger vehicles for the cars that we drive. And the AB 118 program, as well as various other incentive programs in the state, help to both uh, reduce the cost of these vehicles and increase the infrastructure for fueling. I have a request, and this is going out to car manufacturers. I would love to have a zero-emission vehicle, but I need space. I've got three kids. I've got a minivan, and they have yet to come up with a product that works for my family because I need I need a little bit more space for hockey bags and soccer bags. So I'm hoping that somehow we can get to the point where uh, you know we have a vehicle, a zero-emission vehicle for everybody. But um, talk to us about some of the projects uh, that you guys have funded through this $100 million per year uh, the food program, what types of projects do you feel like have really given California taxpayers the biggest return on investment so far? Well, our statute requires us to maintain a portfolio approach for our investments and prohibits us from adopting any one preferred fuel or technology. And what's great about the portfolio approach is that each project has its own individual benefits, which outperform other project types in some metrics, but not others. So for example, our funding for natural gas vehicles provide immediate petroleum reduction and greenhouse gas emission reduction benefits, while our hydrogen infrastructure projects provide a long-term platform for introducing new types of zero-emission vehicles. Now, that said, I would highlight our investments in electric drive and biofuels. We are developing the groundwork for a hub of electric drive vehicle and component development and manufacturing electric charging infrastructure, electric truck development, and electric vehicle ownership here in California. We are putting about one-third of our total funding into the sector and working actively to support the state's zero-emission vehicle mandate. We expect large dividends from our investments in electric drive cars, trucks, batteries, components, and regional readiness plans. Really, we're working to provide the full infrastructure needed to make this a successful industry. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, California got a bad rap. Uh, certain elements of the California state government got a bad rap when the uh, movie came out, Who Killed the Electric Car? Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the 2.0, version 2.0 of that uh, effort, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this will really kind of um, – 
reestablish California's leadership in this area because we we really did get um, some quite some bad publicity around that issue a few years ago. You know, I read on your website on the California Energy Commission's website uh, that about forty percent, as you said, forty percent of our state's greenhouse gas emissions actually comes from transportation. And I was what I was wondering is if you could kind of break that down by sector, like how much of that comes from personal vehicles and how much of that comes from like commercial light fleets, big semi-trucks, 18-wheelers, trains, planes, etc. In other words, in which transportation categories do we have the most opportunity to reduce our transportation-related greenhouse gas emissions? And how does the investment plan you know, with the AB 118 program, reflect those opportunities? Based on the latest uh, greenhouse gas inventory that was done by the Air Resources Board, passenger vehicles, you know, light-duty vehicles, represent about 74% of emissions. Heavy-duty oh. trucks, 19%. So that's the bulk of it. Then we have ships and commercial boats. Those are 2%. Interstate aviation, 3%. Rail, one percent. You know, so to date, the AB 118 program funding has focused primarily on the first two categories, passenger vehicles and heavy-duty trucks, which comprise more than 90 percent of greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. Very smart. Very smart. Now, I know that a good deal of the investment funding goes to infrastructure for various fueling technologies. Can you talk about some of the various infrastructure projects that have received funding? Just give us some idea of what those entail. We have funded over 6,000 electric charging points in California's metropolitan areas. So in three years, we have quintupled the number of EV charging stations in California this includes a mixture, mixture of single-family residential chargers, multifamily chargers, workplace chargers, and chargers at other important public locations. We are also now the primary public funding source for hydrogen fueling stations and working with industry and stakeholders to create a network of hydrogen fueling stations that will be ready in California in 2015 and 16 for the commercial launch of fuel cell vehicles. We are providing funding for installation of 185 E85 retail fueling stations for ethanol retail sales, and we funded nearly 45 compressed natural gas fueling stations for natural gas cars and truck fleets. So, indeed, we're providing infrastructure for a suite of fuels and technology types. Now, when you say providing funding for these infrastructure projects, one of the things I read on the website is that you know, there's a, a component of the funding that requires matching funding on the, the private side. With these infrastructure um, investments, how does that matching funding work for things like, you know, EV charging stations and hydrogen fuel infrastructure stations and things like that? How does that work? Well, with our grants, we require uh, who's ever receiving their grant to put in some money. Um, have some skin in the game, if you will. Right. And so usually that match is 20 to 50 percent. The, there's tremendous interest in the program. We have five times the amount of applications for what we have funding for. And so to the extent we can leverage other funding, both private, federal, and other agency funding, we try to do that. 
Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm wondering how you determine, for instance, where some of this infrastructure funding goes. Like, for instance, do you try to match like E85 fueling stations where uh, car dealers are telling you a high number of flex fuel cars are sold? Or do you try to match electric vehicle charging stations where you're told by car dealers that a high number of electric vehicles are sold? Or is there some other way in which infrastructure allocations are determined? How does that work? Well, in short, yes, but it varies by fuel area. So for hydrogen fueling stations, which are more expensive and more centralized, we work with the University of California at Irvine to match the most likely early sales of fuel cell vehicles with potential fueling station locations. Because both the cars and stations are expensive, we want to match station location with vehicle owners as closely as possible. Now, for E85 stations and electric charging stations, we are working primarily with the private companies developing this infrastructure. They then work with car companies and dealers to determine optimal locations. Now, ultimately, we employ whichever pathway is best to match up the fuels and the vehicle demand. Well, that makes perfect sense. And that's actually the answer that I was hoping to hear because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I know that, you know, various locations, California is a big state and you have consumer pods that tend to gravitate towards different types of, of, fuel technologies. And so that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, ultimately we'd love to see infrastructure for every conceivable type of fueling technology everywhere. But in the meantime, as we're ramping this up, I think that makes a lot of sense to match, you know, the the fuel technology of choice in a community um, with the the um, allocations for that kind of investment and infrastructure. We are going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much, much more with Commissioner Peterman. We're going to be talking about some of the various fuel technologies um, in the the program and, and what they can do for the state and some of the ways that the Golden State is leading the nation in um, ensuring that we can transition our transportation sector to a more green, less polluting, less greenhouse gas emission emitting system. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us because we're talking about something that is really, really smart. Um, We all want a government that is visionary and a government that plans ahead. And the California Energy Commission's uh, work on bringing alternative fuels and alternative vehicle technologies to the streets of California is exactly that. It's got a long-term view with short-term objectives that are being met by investments that make a lot of sense. We've got one of the largest um, agri cultural industries in the nation. It's our, the largest industry in our state. And Carla, it seems like biofuels would simultaneously help wean us off petroleum and spur our state's economy. Is that viable based on current and future vehicle technology? It is viable. You know, we see tremendous potential with California-based biofuels, particularly in the Central Valley. That's where the state's large ethanol biorefineries bio are and some of the biggest biodiesel refineries. So we are funding uh, at the commission demonstrations and feasibility studies for the next generation feedstocks, particularly feedstocks that are lower in carbon intensity. So these are crops like sugar beets and sweet sorghum, which grow well in the valley, but also require less water than corn, tomatoes, you know, and cotton. So it can be a win-win from another, a number of environmental perspectives. And how do you work with the agricultural community? I mean, um, you know, they've got so many competing priorities, I mean, not the least of which is feeding California. Um, How do you interface with, do you interface with a group that represents agriculture? Do you interface with individual farmers? How does that work exactly? It's a bit of a mix. So there are industry groups that represent the farmers and will come talk to us about opportunities and um, our workshops are public. We have a very public process because we want to get folks engaged in this clean energy future. And so we reach out to farmers with information about incentives, for example, for dairy digesters. Because on farms, 
in addition to products that can produce biofuels, you also have um, the waste from the animals, for example, can be a fuel source. So really talking to farmers about how to turn their waste into value. And and what is their response? I mean, are farmers like into this or are they being dragged, kicking and screaming? Well, as with everything, there's a mixed response. As you noted, uh, the agricultural sector is under tremendous pressure right now, uh, especially because of the recession. And so farmers are excited about any opportunity to maximize the value of their land. And so we're making headway, and I think the incentives that we are providing are, are bringing more to the table. Well, and with biofuels, um, what is the main advantage? Is it that they are um, kind of a drop-in solution, that they can work in a lot of um, you know, the current configuration of the internal combustion engine? Um, is it that they're lower in pollution? I mean, what, what's the primary advantage to this investment in biofuels? Well, you've, you've hit on one of the key aspects that makes us excited about biofuels, and that's the drop-in capability. These fuels don't need specialized engines, and they don't need parallel fueling infrastructure networks either, and they can be mixed in any quantity into the current fuel supply. So it can serve as a fuel that helps us transition from our uh, current petroleum dependence. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ask this because this is something that I was a little baffled by. I know that when Governor Schwarzenegger was um, in office, when he was our governor, um, he was really big into hydrogen fuel cells. He even retrofitted his Hummer to have a hydrogen fuel cell. Um, but I don't hear about hydrogen cars being in production at major car companies, and maybe I'm out of the loop. But there's quite a bit of infrastructure in or quite a bit of investment in hydrogen infrastructure. And I was just wondering why that is. What don't we know about what's coming, you know, with hydrogen fuel cell vehicles? Well, as you noted earlier, the electric vehicle industry has gone through transformation, and so has the hydrogen and fuel cell vehicle industry. And so you're a bit out the loop, but it's understandable because this sector is moving quite fast, and there's been a lot of innovation Hydrogen electric fuel cell vehicles are in design and demonstration phase at the major auto companies, at General Motor, Toyota, Nissan, Honda, Hyundai, Daimler, Volkswagen, and several hundred of these vehicles are on the road now in California demonstration vehicles. The target for commercial launch in California is 2015, so not that far away uh, when the target is for over 50,000 vehicles to be offered for sale here. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Talk about what makes hydrogen fuel cell-powered uh, cars so special, so environmentally responsible. What, what's the advantage there? Well, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, like other zero-emission vehicles, have you know, zero greenhouse gas emissions and zero tailpipe emissions. And particularly of interest for you, you're talking about your needs for a minivan. Fuel cell electric drive can work well in minivans and SUVs, where electric drive systems are less efficient. So it allows for a larger car. Uh, larger car. I see. Okay. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm glad to know that, uh, though I was out of the loop, this is something that, that is coming. It's something you to know, keep on your radar. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to be looking for that. I need a, I need a larger vehicle with zero emission capability. You know, speaking of zero emission cars, electric vehicles, as we know, certainly curb tailpipe emissions, but not necessarily overall emissions because 
depending on the source of the electricity that's being used to charge them, they may be, you know, quite, uh, you know, quite guilty of, of emissions. For instance, if, you know, it's uh, a coal plant that happens to be the source of the electricity that's charging, you know, your local electric vehicle, that's not necessarily cutting emissions. It's just not, you know, spewing them out of the tailpipe. How does the, the CEC, the California Energy Commission, manage this conundrum of investing in, you know, charging infrastructure and, and zero emission vehicle, you know, infrastructure and, and investment planning while simultaneously working to green our electricity portfolio? That's a good question that I think about a lot personally because at the commission, I'm also a lead on renewables and I'm involved in implementing the state's renewable portfolio standard. Mm-hmm. So the California grid, I should say, first of all, is cleaner than the rest of the nation. Our system is dominated. Uh, the largest share is natural gas, and we don't have much coal that comes into the system. But with our renewable portfolio standard, we have a, a requirement to, by 2020 to have 33% of our electricity come from renewables. And also the governor has noted that 33% is a floor and not a ceiling. And so we're striving to get to even higher levels of renewable electricity. So, you know, that being said, you've correctly called out the importance of thinking about life cycle emissions. And while charging on our current grid, which is 20% renewable, battery electric vehicles are still 65 to 70% lower in full fuel cycle emissions than conventional vehicles. For the plug-in hybrids, EVs, such as the Prius and the Volt, and the greenhouse gas emissions are 50% lower, you know, depending on the proportion of miles that are driven in the electric mode. So really, overall, a great emission savings. Well, that's that's good. I mean, and that's true. I just, you know, I think that that's something that um, sometimes when electric vehicles are being advertised or marketed, um, you know, I, I keep thinking back to the Nissan Leaf commercial where the polar bear is hugging the guy <laughs> because he buys the Leaf. You know, that consumers need to understand that, you know, part of what makes an electric vehicle actually green is that the electricity that's charging it is also green. It's not just about, you know, what's happening from the tailpipe. You Agreed. know. I can't help but wonder, you know, we had just seen this catastrophic amount of power outages from Superstorm Sandy that hit the East Coast. And I'm wondering if you foresee any reticence on the part of consumers thinking, wow, if we went without electricity for that long, I wouldn't be able to drive anywhere. You know, of course, people were having some trouble getting liquid fuel uh, on the East Coast as well, but they, they could drive. Um, they could turn on their vehicles. If there was no electricity and you have an electric vehicle, um, no such luck. Do you, do you see that being a problem after what we've just witnessed, that consumers might be reticent to invest in electric vehicles? That's something we were following, and you know, based on the reports and the news, it seems that EV drivers in affected areas haven't um, been harmed uh, by the storm. You know, many were able to rely on their uh, battery electric vehicles, even if their power was out, because they were able to use public charging stations that were unaffected by the storm. And that's why we fund a mix of residential, workplace, and public charging so that drivers have options. Mm-hmm. And as you noted, many other drivers relying on gasoline were stuck in very long lines to fill up um, after Sandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm from New Jersey myself, and my family members were some of those folks affected by fuel shortages. 
And you know, what's exciting about EVs as well is that they can also be used to strengthen the system. So in Japan, they are developing backup battery storage for homes in the event of an emergency by using Nissan Leaf vehicles. And the Nissan uh, project will use lithium-ion batteries that can hold enough electricity to power an average Japanese household for about two days. And Nissan plans to commercialize the system over the next year or so. Wow, that's really interesting. So even if you you know, use that power and you weren't going to be able to go anywhere, you could at least power your home, which of course you know has a lot of advantages. Very interesting. Right, kind of and energy that, security from two different perspectives, both for your mm-hmm. fuel, your transportation, and for uh, your home power. Yeah, that is really interesting. That I, I like that idea. I mean, that's that's smart, very smart. Well, we're we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about energy security issues in California, and uh, we'll also talk about um, some of the investments in manufacturing that this program has been engaged in in California. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be joining us, we are joined today by California Energy Commissioner Carla Peterman, and we're talking about the greening of California's transportation. The reason being is that we know that about 40% of the heat-trapping greenhouse gas emissions that are produced in the state of California come from the transportation sector, and the largest percentage of that emission is coming from personal vehicles and uh, and trucks that are on our roads. And so the California Energy Commissioning is investing about $100 million a year uh, based on revenue that was set aside from a, a bill back a few years ago called AB 118. And as a result, the investment has helped to create not just the technology, not just the fuels uh, that would create an alternative to petroleum, but also the infrastructure that would help ensure that if people purchase vehicles, uh, whether it's for their fleet, whether it's for their personal use, to use these alternative fuels, that they have a place to fill up, whether they need to fill up with electricity or fill up with biofuels, whatever it happens to be, uh, coming in the future, hydrogen uh, for their fuel cell cars. Um, so this is a really forward-thinking uh, really visionary piece of, of government work that we're really excited about. But, you know, before we went to break, we were talking about the impact of the power outages that Superstorm Sandy created on the East Coast. And for just a minute, Carla, I'd like to talk about what the California Energy Commission and California government in uh, as a whole has done to help increase California's energy security so that maybe we wouldn't have a long-term power outage like they have experienced on the East Coast if we were to have some sort of a similar natural disaster? Well, that's a good question. And California has been working constantly to prepare for an event should one arise in California. I've been through various trainings myself in this area. Uh, we have the California Emergency Management Agency, and they've developed the State of California Emergency Plan, which includes the state energy agencies as well as plans for different emergency situations in California. And these plans are developed and tested through exercises which evaluate emergency operation plans, policies, and procedures for events at you know, the local, regional, and state level. Uh, a key key to remember in an emergency is maintaining regular and real-time communication and coordination. That's critical. And I think that on your last show, you and your guest talked about the challenges uh, with Sandy with cell phones not working, emails. Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the first things that you can do is just make sure that your contact lists are updated. Um, for example, in state government, when someone retires, if they're the point of contact, you've got to find someone to replace them right away because that emergency could happen right in that gap of employment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take the lessons currently being learned uh, by the East Coast hurricane disaster and implement them in our own plans and uh, continue to move forward and at least minimize risk from any event. 
Fantastic. Well, and I know that a lot of the work that you're doing um, to create, you know, everything from distributed generation to, you know, a lot of the uh, emphasis on alternative uh, fuels and renewable energy will help create some redundancy in our energy system that could guard against large scale power outages for sure. You know, back to the investment plan that that has been created around AB 118 to create more um, alternative fuel opportunities that in the state of California. Uh, a lot of the investment is in manufacturing, and of course, especially during the presidential election season, nationwide we were hearing about bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. I would love for you to talk about some of the investments that the California Energy Commission has made in this area, and what the expected result will be in terms of jobs. Sure. You know, California manufacturing companies are uniquely positioned to integrate the technology development experience and financial resources of Silicon Valley. We have a history as an innovator, and we need to capitalize that and do more of that in the clean energy sector. So many of the electric vehicle, you know, battery, and component developers we are funding are integrating these technologies within California. Tesla is a great example of that and of how innovation and business uh, support from Silicon Valley you know, can be applied. Uh, the Model S, the Tesla's new car, just won Car of the Year Award from Motor Trend magazine. And they are using sophisticated engineering, robotics, and very skilled labor to manufacture an electric car in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Tesla has won an, a $10 million AB118 manufacturing grant for their SUV crossover Model X. So again, another SUV on coming for you and a yeah. training and a training grant to help develop the manufacturing technicians needed to work in their factory. So we're both trying to train Californians to work in this space as well as uh, support job opportunities. It sounds to me like, Commissioner Peterman, that the kind of jobs that are being created by the investments in the manufacturing in this sector are really good paying jobs. It sounds like, you know, what the CEC's investments are helping to create are, are family sustaining, well paying jobs. Is that correct? That is the aim. And with our investments so far, we've estimated that 54 jobs within the first two year of investments uh, were created because of our program. And over 1,000 of these jobs were in the manufacturing sector. And as you've noted, there's a range of job opportunities, both from the highly skilled engineers to those who are involved in battery repair. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so that's one of the things that, you know, we want to make sure that we're always doing. A few weeks ago, we had somebody from the AFL-CIO on, and mm. we were talking about labor issues. And one of the things that they're very concerned with is that as, quote-unquote, green jobs are created, that these are of course, safe for the workers, but they're mm-hmm. also family-sustaining wage jobs. And it sounds as though um, your investments are helping to, to create exactly that, jobs that people can uh, raise a family on. And so I think that's terrific. Um, and feel no, so good you, about, you know, these exactly. are jobs that are producing vehicles that are making clean air, and that's a win-win for your family, both economically and from a health perspective. Well, and from an economic perspective, here's why it makes a lot of sense. First of all, the manufacturing is happening in California. So those companies will be paying, you know, if they're successful in selling their products, they'll be paying their corporate taxes to the state of California. And then you create great paying jobs for their workers who also live in California. They'll be paying their income taxes to the mm-hmm. state of California. So there's there's a return on investment. This kind of smart investment helps to 
increase the economy and hence uh, help to bridge some of the budget gaps that we have in the state of California as well. So there's, it's kind of like a win, 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 win. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> that's so what we're many banking ways. on. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Now, when you invest in manufacturing facilities, do you require them to use California suppliers for their raw materials or do they have leeway to use an international supply chain? So there's a mix. Um, for our two solicitations that were for advanced vehicle um, manufacturing, a total of $50 million, the companies are required to manufacture in California. And well, one exciting example is Electric Vehicle International, and that's a company that relocated to California from Mexico to take advantage of the incentives offered by the state. Hmm. Um, you know, in the rest of our solicitations, we have not required applicants to use California suppliers. However, companies that cite their manufacturing facilities in California often take advantage of existing parts suppliers in states. In the state, so uh, an, an example is Boulder Electric Vehicles. Um, Boulder Electric Vehicles was awarded three million from the Energy Commission to establish their second manufacturing line in the Los Angeles area, where mm-hmm. they will produce medium-duty uh, vehicles. And so it's our hope that you'll start seeing these impacts in the economy, not just through the manufacturing itself, but all the products that they need uh, to build their clean vehicle. Well, and I realize that, you know, manufacturers may not be able to find a California or local supplier for some of the parts and pieces that they need. But um, how about environmental reporting requirements for their supply chain? Do you require the manufacturers who receive grants from the CEC to um, somehow uh, monitor or um, assess their suppliers' environmental uh, you know, performance in any way? That's a good question. No, currently we don't specify any environmental reporting requirements, but generally I think it is important to look over at the overall supply chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be, you know, kind of a, a great little component there just to kind of extend the, um, you know, producer responsibility beyond just what happens mm-hmm. in their building, but onto their supply chain as well. You know, I noticed that another significant area of funding that you guys are employing is natural gas vehicle incentives. I'd love for you to talk about the advantages of natural gas vehicles and what kind of infrastructure we need in the state of California in order to extract, refine, and distribute natural gas. Yeah, the As you're aware, natural gas prices uh, have come down in recent years, and as such, natural gas as a fuel can be purchased for almost half of current diesel prices at the retail pump. And so many California fleets in particular are evaluating their potential fuel savings by switching to natural gas. And so other advantages include petroleum reduction, um, modest near-term greenhouse gas reductions of 20%, and those reductions can increase if it's biogas is used instead of natural gas. Some criteria emission benefits, and this is especially important for older diesel trucks and buses uh, that are being retired from California fleets and being replaced with natural gas vehicles. And public health benefits for children. Uh, we've been seeing school districts invest in natural gas buses and retire uh, older diesel buses. So in terms of infrastructure, we focus on fueling infrastructure and making sure it's available to meet the demand for the cars. And we funded more than 40 stations through the AB 118 program. Um, you know, the, the challenge is finding station developers, but as the economics become more favorable, we are scaling back on our grants for private stations, but are maintaining our grants 
for stations at school districts and government fleets. So we really try to follow the market. We do an investment plan every year, and we look at where the supply and the demand is and adjust our investments accordingly. And do you foresee California having to do more extracting of our own natural gas reserves or, uh, you know, creating any refinery capability or anything like that to support natural gas vehicles? Or is that something that, you know, we, we, ha- we currently have a perfectly feasible supply of? Not at this point. We use uh, natural gas for our electricity. As I noted, it's the majority share of our electricity. And so currently we have sufficient natural gas supplies, and it's an interstate market. And mm-hmm. um, so I think right now we're still working on getting the vehicles out there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have more with Commissioner Peterman. So, folks, don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I want to give a big shout out to all my tweeps who are following me on Twitter. You guys are awesome. You guys give me great questions, great feedback, and it's a lot of fun joining in the conversation with you all. If you would like to become one of my followers, I will do my best to follow you back. My handle is at Jill Buck. 
at J-I-L-L-B-U-C-K. So join in the conversation on Twitter. If you also want to get involved in the conversations that we're having on Facebook, there's a really easy way to get to that Facebook page. If you go to my nonprofit organization's website, which is Go Green Initiative. Dot org. You'll see a button there that says join us on Facebook. It's called the Go Green Face Space. And we've got people literally from countries all over the world. Sometimes I have to do a translation to figure out what's going on and what they're saying. But it's so much fun. We have some great green conversations on our Go Green Face Space. So get out there and join us. Well, if you just happen to be tuning in, we have California Energy Commissioner Carla Peterman. We've been talking about the greening of California transportation. We are going to severely reduce our greenhouse gas emissions over the next few years based on the really visionary and smart investments that they have been making in alternative fuels and the infrastructure needed for people to have alternative fuel vehicles and be able to recharge them or refuel them, what have you. You know, Commissioner Peterman, I'm I'm interested in knowing, do you ever hear complaints from people who say, hey, we should be investing this money in public transportation and get Californians out of their cars. Do you feel like this program is based on a determination that Californians are not going to give up their cars and that we are not going to be a public transportation state? Well, first, I'd like to consider them friendly suggestions and not uh, complaints. And so <laughs> we do get friendly good. suggestions on this matter. And actually, we fund a fair number of natural gas, electric drive, and fuel cell buses for public uh, transit applications. And California counties and transit districts are also investing heavily in public transportation, as well as state and federal agencies. No, it's a false choice. We're going to need both. Mm -hmm. Public transportation isn't possible for everyone. And California has a vehicle fleet totaling over 27 million cars and trucks that are contributing substantially to our state's public health um, issues. And Mm -hmm. so we're really targeting the vehicle market um, because that is where most of the emissions are. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's a strategy based in reality. Mm. And though we'd love for everybody to hop the bus or hop the train, like you said, that's not possible for everyone. So let's deal with reality and make smart investments to help them reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution. I think right. it's smart. I think we, that's great. We want folks to have choices. If they want to ride a bus, if they want to drive a car, if they want to drive a truck, we want them to be able to make that choice but have clean fuel associated with it. Brilliant. I love that strategy. You know, do you ever get frustrated as a California energy commissioner that we kind of lack a national plan when it comes to energy infrastructure or transitioning away from petroleum products? Or do you feel like, hey, it's okay. Um, let states do it their own way. We're doing it our own way in California, and that's fine. Where do you fall on that that spectrum? Even though there's no singular national plan, several federal agencies are doing great work in developing and deploying alternative fuels and vehicles, and we're partnering with the federal government as much as possible. You know, the Department of Energy has made investments in battery development, EV projects, as well as programs to, you know, get cities to start thinking about clean energy. The federal government is particularly active in the biofuel space. Um, The U.S. EPA and the Department of Energy are establishing the Renewable Fuel Standard Program uh, for the country as well as the USDA has payments that they provide uh, to production of advanced biofuels, as well as loan guarantees for the development of biorefineries. I mean, of course, I'm always interested in having a comprehensive and coordinated transportation program. And so what we've been doing uh, regionally is working with our neighboring states on common interests, such as 
common signage for electric vehicle drivers. You know, you want to make it easy for people to move around the region and still use uh, these new cars. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the things that your plan spells out very specifically that I haven't seen at the national level, but you educate me if it exists, and that is a transition away from petroleum products. It's spelled out right there. That's mm-hmm. one of the, the goals. And I haven't seen that at the national level, but maybe you can tell me, does such verbiage exist in any national plan? I do not know the answer to that question. I've been so focused on what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, I think that is a good point. What you're seeing at the national level is a discussion about diversity, mm-hmm. um, diversifying your risk, not exposing anyone to over-reliance on one source. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, you know, kind of embedded in that is a reduction in petroleum dependency, but we use so much fuel for transportation that mm-hmm. there's room for everyone at the table. You know, petroleum right. isn't going away tomorrow, and we can also take efforts to improve the efficiency of existing engines so that for the cars that are using petroleum, they're using it in a more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the uh, the recent um, changes to the uh, the fuel standards for for vehicles is a is a great way to start with that. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners outside of California who wonder, hey, is my state government doing something like this? I mean, are, are we focusing on alternative fuel uh, and, and vehicle and infrastructure to green our transportation the way California is? How can they find out? What do you recommend to those listeners who are curious about what their own state government is doing? Well, first, I'd recommend that they move to California. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got great weather, nice people, nice regulators, and the, and the air is getting cleaner. Um, but if that's not an option, uh, the listeners can actually go to the Department of Energy's Alternative Fuels Data Center website. And I'll say that again, the DOE's Alternative Fuels Data Center website and they have information on all the incentives that are available by state uh, for clean transportation. And mm-hmm. so a number of other states have incentives for electric vehicles and uh, grant programs. And so folks should take advantage of that. It's their money that's being invested, the public money. And we want the public informed about what we're doing and how we're spending these funds. Well, speaking of public input, how how does public input work with the program currently? I mean, like, for instance, I really need an E85 station in my town because <laughs> the closest one is like 10 miles away. So I would like to give some input. Uh, Pleasanton, California does not have an E85 station, but I have to get on the freeway to do it. So just take that into consideration. That's uh, my prerogative as the uh, the host here to get my two cents worth in. But um, how how does public input work currently with the California program? So first of all, on your E85 station, there may be one coming to your neighborhood soon because as I noted we've provided uh, funding for E85 stations and that rollout is happening now. So don't give up hope. Yay. Um, Yay. <laughs> but you know, one of the main ways a consumer can influence where infrastructure goes is by purchasing the vehicles and increasing the demand for the infrastructure in their community and getting their community excited about uh, these vehicles. And our meetings for our funding priorities are all public. We hold... Um, two workshops a year with our advisory committee for the program where we present uh, funding priorities and plans for the upcoming year. And folks can attend those in person in Sacramento, or they can call in and listen online. And uh, we welcome all public input. 
Well, that's awesome. I mean, I love the transparency. I love the the strategy, the vision. This program is really exciting, and I'm so glad that you were able to join us today, Commissioner Peterman. I wish you the best, and I thank you so much for telling us about this program. It's really motivating, and, and job well done. Job well done. Thank you. I've been enjoyed being able to share with you my excitement about it as well. Well, fantastic. And folks, I hope that you guys all have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to us with Go Green Radio. We'll be here same time, same place next week. Until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.